All right, one viewer. Got one viewer. Nice. Thanks for joining early. Now here's some ads. Curdy bot. Welcome to the live stream. You're the only one. Lonely Saturday night live stream. Don't shame the guy. We're we're also here. Uh, no, I'm the lonely one. I'm the one with no friends in Florida. All my so friends we're here are on for Twitter. you. Yeah, you guys are rallying for Thank you. Thank you for joining me. <laughs> oh man, were you excited uh, or or annoyed when I was like, "Yo, pod"? <laughs> uh, I was neutral about it. Kind of didn't want to. I kind of was about to be lazy for the rest of the night, but. Uh, I can be lazy on a live stream. That that works out too. It's not that much work. Yeah, no, especially when we just start chit chatting. Okay, well, let's just let's just do these ads now, and and then you know give give people more time to join. Well, no, let me let me do the welcome to. Okay, yeah, yeah, let's yeah. just do the whole thing. Yeah, 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 let's just do it. Welcome everyone to PO Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? I'm doing all right here on a Friday, or Saturday night talking to you. So I guess could be better. It's fun. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> uh, I'm bummed about the conference, man. That's a, that's a huge bummer. Yeah, it is. Uh, for those of you who have not heard, we've uh, been forced to postpone uh, Bitcoin 2020 conference. It was supposed to happen at the end of this month, but uh, now it's going to happen tentatively in Q3. Uh, we'll have to see how things kind of continue to develop. Stay tuned for updates on that front. Not going to say too much, but it was it was the right thing to do. And, you know, we really had no choice. Yeah, well, the city forced you guys to, right? Yeah. And I mean, if you look a- across the board, like every conference is either canceled right. or postponed. Um, but we're not canceled. Right. We're Pacific postponed. Canceled. Postponed. Yeah. I mean, dude, that needed to get postponed because it's a huge event. South- I mean, and I feel so... Yeah, South by Southwest is going to have like- those those organizers it's so much work yeah yeah south by southwest is like four hundred thousand people right or something is that is that right yeah some ridiculously large number it's it's a massive conference one of the biggest in the world i do not know the numbers um but pretty much takes over the entire city of austin um like i'm i'm starting to be convinced that coronavirus is just gonna blow over but like we are in that like six week period where we just have no information like what is this going to turn into like do people do does everyone need to stay inside their their houses and just stay home for for a while while this dies out or what's the deal um we don't know the answer to these questions a lot of people are thinking that coronavirus could be, you know, the beginning of the end of this epic bull run in the traditional markets. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd love to have some Bitcoiner, some Bitcoiner maxi and the Fed opinions on the coronavirus and what will it do to the greater macro environment? Like what, what, what's the, I could tell most, you. <laughs> yeah. Hit me with it. What, what's Corona going to do to the Fed? The two kind of main things or trends that uh, a lot of people in the Bitcoin space are pointing to, and I'm focused on in particular, are one, the furthering of uh, authoritarianism and the panopticon. Uh, you see this a lot in, in, in China, where now you know they are quarantining people via WeChat, and um, they are triangulating who is sick based on WeChat data of who has interacted with them using uh, GPS and like actually find out who's like gotten close to them and then quarantine them via, you know, all of their social media and and technology. Um, So there's this like trend of now there's an excuse to take another step forward in, in, in strangling surveillance tech that is already there and, you know, turning it to the next level, turning it up. I'm conflicted about that because like the way that you started it off, it was like, yeah, the Chinese government is able to track everyone who's sick with a really pinpoint accuracy, which sure. is like a really good thing for fighting a disease. Like that's oh, exactly yeah. the the information you need to be able to get a get a handle on this. And so like this has always been my my conflict with with technology like this. Like it furthers the power of the state and it also enables them to do good with the the information that that they receive. Uh, 
obviously I'm not ready to take that bet, you know, over the long term. but like in some scenarios, like this is exactly the kind of data and the abilities that you want to have available in a, an event like this. There are many, many cases where being able to make decisions quickly are great, but in the long term, if those powers are chronically amongst a concentrated group of people, that's where uh, we have issues, which is, I think you acknowledge that yourself. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Like I'm not, it's, I would, I would definitely put my money on it being a net negative, but sure. Again, yeah. Like, it's, it's, yeah, it's a balance of, of and, things. And kind of like what, what you're saying is like, you know, this coronavirus thing might blow over. Right. But what, you know, what new precedent has been set um, over something that will blow potentially could be horrible, but potentially could blow over in a few months. But what's the new precedent that has been set is that this is measures that are allowed. Right. And maybe in the short term it's justified, but are they going to give up the powers after doubtful um there's not a lot of evidence yeah. that they've done that in the past. I, I think that's i think that's just a bargain that we get when we have such urbanized uh, such an urbanized globe and so like the the panopticon is really easy in cities in really dense urban cities and that's what china is is like china's got like the biggest cities in the world and it just becomes more efficient to have a panopticon and because there's more reasons to have this panopticon type of environment when the cities get larger and larger and larger, um, like you don't need a you don't you don't need surveillance technology in rural towns. Like there's no point for that. Uh, and so like this is just I think kind of well a, in China there is surveillance technology everywhere. It's called WeChat now. Yeah, but everywhere is dense. Everywhere is dense. I mean, there's everywhere. There's a lot of places that are not dense, but they still have the the personal surveillance in their pocket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's um, even more than just density. Like, obviously, there's cameras on every corner. Like, in London, there's more mm-hmm. cameras than people. Okay. Wait, so so we started talking off talking about, like, how this is going to impact the state. Yeah. I want to talk about how this is going to, in fact, impact the big markets, the macro markets. Yeah, so like, he, here's point number the, two. Coronavirus is a reason to expedite uh, QE in lower rates. Mm-hmm. Um, and as well mm-hmm. as it, it's a reason... Happened is a reason to attack cash. And that is already happening as well. So the US is already like, for, for, again, for obvious reasons, is suspending all cash that is coming into the country that has touched Asia, right? But they're like collecting more cash that was on, you know, in the market, and they are closing it off and taking it off off the market. Um, so there's, you know, this furthers the attack on cash as well as this furthers uh, at least the justification for lowering rates and more easing. Yeah. The, uh, the agronists of the quantitative easing that came right after the, the federal reserve said that they weren't going to uh, lower rates. And then like four days later, they lowered rates like that. That was pretty telling. Um, almost immediately. That kind of like almost immediately. And like, there's no way that like, you can't, you can justify that that's not a, an emotional, emotionally uh, driven decision. Like there's no way that you can, there's no da- data that they got. Like this whole world is stripped of data. And so there's no way that the federal reserve can ever claim that they've made like a data driven, like action. It's, it's fear. It's, it's a, it's an action based out of fear. And I think, I think the Bitcoiner narrative is like, why is human emotion like manipulating our the value of our money? Like that's fucked up. Hundred percent. And we had Parker on Parker Lewis from Unchained Capital on recently, and he has spent an extensive amount of times going back and reading the full minutes of former past meetings where they decided to do initial stimulus in the two thousand eight crisis and afterwards. And you know, he was like, I can tell you one thing that every single person that was in those meetings and all the predictions that are making, they are chronically wrong. Every prediction they made was wrong. So they are guessing. They have no idea what is happening. And, you know, how can they know? Like these are new, you know, these are new crazy things that are happening and they don't have all the information, but they have all the power to change the direction of things. Yeah, like I don't understand how the Federal Reserve and people that make these decisions with regards to interest rates, how they can think that the um, the decisions that they are making are any different from a trader who's reading the charts. Like it's the same thing. It's like you don't know where the market's going. The market is extremely smart. It's the amalgamation of billions of different uh, different brains put together, and the federal people at the Federal Reserve are like. 
we can we can understand the market like we know where it's going and so we're going to act accordingly like it's the most arrogant but it's the most arrogant decision you could ever you could ever make and like i think i think i'm just becoming the the more more and more bitcoiner when i keep on going on this train of thought where like the federal reserve is like 12 people or something i don't know some low number of people where like we we created the position for the federal reserve to exist and then people filled that position but that doesn't mean the best people are filling those positions right these are just like these are just like fish out of water flopping around saying like oh let's rate let's lower the interest rate oh let's raise the interest rate buy like i want to buy right now i want to sell i'm gonna fomo i'm gonna not fomo it's like it's the same thing um so i'm gonna just again quote and 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 talk about a point that Parker Lewis makes a lot is that Alan Greenspan, when he was testifying after the 2008 crisis, Congress was asking him what went wrong. And he said, my model was wrong. Everyone who is making these decisions, even at the top, they're operating based on information that they think they have, and they're modeling that out. And they're making these huge decisions about how money works and how to stimulate the economy and printing trillions of dollars, you know, at, at a flick of the wrist. But at the same time, what do they have? They have they have very little. There's a point of saying like all resources being allocated right now are being allocated inappropriately. Our entire society could be operating completely incorrectly because there's these people that are constantly manipulating the supply of money and manipulating our price signals. Yeah. And at the, at the same time, it's impossible for the role of the Federal Reserve to not become politicized. Like it's an inherently political organization because as soon as Donald Trump tweets at the Federal Reserve saying, hey, like you guys need to lower interest rates, like all of a sudden their choice to either do or do not is a political choice. Like they have to take into account the way the that Donald Trump or the president of the, of the United States or whatever is talking to the Federal Reserve that immediately becomes relevant both to the market and to the Federal Reserve's decision. So like if the Federal Reserve does something, the market is going to react based on the Federal Reserve's decision based on how Donald Trump talked to the Federal Reserve. So Donald Trump just interjected and said, hey, I'm going to become relevant into, into the market. And so it's just, it's just like a fishing net for, for or, or, uh, the Federal Reserve is just this net for, for political baggage that they've spread. And they're just, they just let people like throw their shit into it. So I guess with that being said, like, yes, Donald Trump is taking advantage of an opportunity to implement his agenda, but that opportunity was available the entire time. Obama could have done it. Clinton could have done it. That opportunity was available. Like, Mm -hmm. are there rooms for political attacks in, in the blockchains that we like? Right. And, and how does that play into um, monetary policy and other kind of important decisions. Yeah. Um, in the middle of the most recent episode of Bankless that we're going to drop on Monday, um, this episode will probably have come out after that one. Uh, it's me and Ryan are going through kind of, kind of the history of money and then the history of monetary policy and how money came to be where it is today. And like in the middle of it, I realized, I'm just realizing that like, we're basically doing a Bitcoiner episode and we are terrible Bitcoiners. <laughs> like if any Bitcoiner listened to this, they would be like, they glossed over so many things and, and they, they, they did the bare minimum for telling this story. Bitcoiners have been doing entire podcasts about this one episode and we just tried to scrunch it into one episode being like, oh, this is how, this is why, you know, no one should be in charge of the money. Um, but I, I do think at the same time, it is nice not to switch the subject, but I guess also to switch switch the, the subject, it, it is nice to get a bunch of th- of Ethereum people to uh, either listen to perhaps for the first time or remember that one of the core principles of this whole entire system is that no one gets to be in charge of the money. I think that there's a difference between no one gets to be in charge versus we don't want anyone to be in charge. So I think that's where kind of like my main main questioning is at least when it comes to Ethereum and a lot of other chains that claim to be decentralized. And I think that that mud has also been slung at Bitcoin. Um, I think a lot of people will say that Bitcoin is not as decentralized in its decision-making as uh, it, you know, Bitcoin proponents claim to be. Oh, is that fire? Why fire? What? No, why? I like, I like, I like real whiskey. 
I want the cinnamon. And the sugar? Excuse me. Wow, keto over here. <laughs> it's not that it's not that much sugar, is it? it doesn't fucking tell you. I mean, dude, it's sweet as hell. Yeah, yeah, that's I mean whiskey's bourbon sweet. For, for the listeners out there, not video viewers, uh David just poured himself a uh is it a neat a neat uh, yeah. uh Jack Daniels fire. I apparently I'm getting heat for it. <laughs> uh let him know okay. on Twitter um, if you if he deserves heat or not. Can you can you go through that the difference between those two things again? No one should be in charge of the money versus no one can be. Is that the difference that you just said? Yeah. Ah, right. So your your distinction is that with Bitcoin, no one can be, and with Ethereum, no one should be. I'm just saying that there's a distinction there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, that's an important distinction. Um, but I mean, we've covered that a bajillion times. Like, yeah, like we need to be for what we are now as like, so long as the social contract appears to be in control of, of the system. I, I think that's an okay compromise. How do you know if the social contract is in control? Rough consensus. If it doesn't even have to hit it exactly because no one can define what exactly is. So long as like no one is screaming too loud, then like we're we're Gucci. So I'd like to kind of get your your play by play of this most recent uprising in the Prague Palace stuff. Okay, so I've just been way too busy to be in the deep uh, in the deep with Prague Pal, but uh, from what I can understand, what I, from what I've gathered, Prague Pal has been this EIP that's just existed for a really long time and hasn't really gone gone anywhere. But every like three months or so, it's like on a cycle. Like this is the third cycle. Every three months or so, it comes back up uh, because for some reason, the Ethereum core devs decide to include it into the next hard fork. And like, especially this last one was the most egregious, uh, egregious uh, uh, attempt to get it involved, to get it in. It, it was the, the words accurately described were the, the ninja hard fork, like a, a ninja inclusion of, EI, of the ProgPow uh, EIP. And what the EIP, what the change with Ethereum is, is actually not really relevant to what the debate is. The debate is about Ethereum governance and who gets to decide what goes into Ethereum. Uh, the subject matter of the, what, of, uh, the ProgPow debate is just a change to the hashing algorithm, which is a really big fucking deal. Like you don't change the, the, the hashing algorithm for nothing like that, that, you know, that is underpinning the whole entire protocol. Like that's not change. That's not like anything changing just the values of, of gas prices for certain contract calls or whatever. No, this is something that if it breaks, the whole thing breaks. So it's really important. But the, the issue is, is that, you know, ProgPow got submitted by the core devs, which at one point in time, like months and months ago, we're talking on the all core devs call and there was consensus among like the core devs and then the community, like the, the Twitterers, the bloggers, the, the, the podcasters were like, wait, what? Fuck no, we don't want this. And so they, they just created a community uprising and like there, there was a, another EIP created an informational EIP, which doesn't actually do anything other than provide information where like a hundred people signed it. Uh, like there's articles written podcasts, like that people were talking about it on Twitter. And then the core devs were like, well, why are we listening to like these people that are just on Twitter? They don't mean anything. Like the core devs are, are dis- discrediting or discounting what it means to be a community member on Twitter. And then the people on Twitter are being offended by that because they're saying like, well, Twitter's where the community lives and you're out of touch. It's just a, it's just a, I mean, big corners are just sitting back eating popcorn being like, Oh yeah, this is exactly why you don't have governance. Um, so the, the end of the story comes to the most recent um, uh, all core devs call, which um, uh, happened on Thursday, I think Thursday or Friday. So very recently uh, where everyone hopped on, gave their case for why prop power shooters should not be implemented. And there was basic total consensus that it will not be implemented. And so it is being abandoned. Uh, if I can get my editing skills, I'm going to insert the clip of Amin Soleimani, an edited clip of Amin Soleimani asking or questioning the process of what it means or the, the significance of what it means to be an all, all or, or what the significance of what it means to be a core dev. 
because uh, that is now the conversation that has uh, unfolded after as a result of this is what does it mean to be an Ethereum core dev? Yeah, I like Amin because he pushes, he's brave enough to to push the question and ask the question and push the boundaries. Like, and that's kind of part of his like MO. Uh, so I think that, that he's good for the overall conversation. Yeah, I, I tweeted out Amin's it's on the, the throne of chaotic good. Like he's the most chaotic good person that I can think of. Uh, he he doesn't play by the rules and he has a purpose and a role to play and a goal that he wants to get to. And the way that he does that, the way that he gets to that goal is just in the most unexpected ways possible. Also the most hilarious ways. It sounds like the maybe, maybe the end of the prog pal thing was this dev call, but it sounds like it wasn't it's really. It's, it's fully dead. It is, but, there's, it's dead. Okay, whatever, whatever. That's not important. But it doesn't sound like that's actually the conclusion of the underlying issue, which has to do with how Ethereum is governed, and in particular, what is included in hard forks. Yeah, right. So there's another, another tweet that I, I can't remember who it made. Maybe it was Cyrus from MakerDAO tweeted about how, like, you know, ProgPal is not the issue here. Again, it was never about the content of the EIP. It was about how it was being considered and included into Ethereum. Uh, and and the, the stakes on Ethereum are really, really high. Like, if Bitcoin has a governance debate, Bitcoin can just fork and then there's two Bitcoins. And then at some point, there's one winner, like we saw with Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin. Like, it's only an idiot will tell you that Bitcoin Cash won that, won that fight. Uh, with Ethereum, it's different because we have DeFi. And so much of DeFi is based off of the value of Ether that if you have a hard fork and the price of Ether gets split between two different chains and super volatile for a while, uh, so many of the DeFi protocols cease to function because of liquidations. Um, just, uh, like You can only answer to assets on one of the two chains, like things like USDC or any any at real asset backed chain. Like for Realty, for example, like we would have to pick which which of our tokens on which chain are we going to answer to? Um, and, and so like basically it all kind of comes down to which all, all these DeFi protocols choose is the right chain. And at the same time, that chain needs to uphold this value in Ether less like all these CVPs and, and DYDX positions get liquidated. Uh, and so this is really kind of pushed for some, something as gargantuan as MakerDAO needs to start um, funding the development of a client for Ethereum, like MakerDAO needs to fund development of its own client so that when it comes to any sort of chain split or whatever, like they have a, a, a representative stake in the network representative to how much funding they put into the client. And so that's an interesting way to kind of solve this governance problem. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see where this goes. Uh, hopefully it's just the last time this is really an issue, but I think like maybe even thinking that, that this issue will never uh, ever come up again is, is naive because I mean, even if it doesn't actually ever come up again, like you still want to be prepared for it. Right. Let's talk about eToro for the 50th time. Um, you guys, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this company. They have supported us and they've been supporting Bitcoin for the past us for the past six months but they've been supporting bitcoin since 2016 yo so what that's four years that's a long time at being in bitcoin that almost makes etoro an og company in this space but yeah etoro they've been building the best bitcoin exchange infrastructure for global usage for a very long time and earlier in 2019 they brought their fully regulated compliant exchange infrastructure to the united states and they have a bunch of cool features First and foremost, the most important thing is stacking SAT and taking your money off the exchange into your own custody. That is the number one feature and they check off that box. But going down the list of other amazing features, you can copy any trader's activity, just put your money on them and any trade they do, you can automatically get exposure to it. You can invest in a portfolio. You can even trade fake money and not have any reliability and test out all your crazy assumptions. So with your real money, you stack stats like a smart person. And with your fake money, you can test out all your crazy lines and charts, you know, without any real consequences. eToro, check them out. Next up is Unchained Capital. Like I said, Unchained is one of my favorite companies in the space. I use their vault product almost every single day. Uh, because I stack stats every single day and put it into the Unchained Vault. 
You guys, multi-sig is extremely important, especially in Bitcoin, and Unchained makes it easier than ever for you to have a strong multi-sig setup at home with your own custody with their Vault product. You can use Trezor. You can use Ledger. They're building open source tools so that way you never have to trust them. And then guess what? When Bitcoin goes to the moon and you want to leverage some of those gains, you don't have to sell. You can just go back to Unchained Capital and they never rehypothecate your Bitcoin. You can use your Bitcoin as collateral. They're going to store it in a multi-sig that you hold a key in and you can go and leverage your Bitcoin at fantastic rates and get liquidity on your Bitcoin without having to sell. Unchained Capital, a fantastic Bitcoin first financial institution. I'm friends with the team. Love the product. Happy customers. Check them out at unchained-capital.com. Oh yeah, definitely. I think the social attack vectors here are massive. So that's, Mm -hmm. again, for me is very alarming. Uh, Social attack vectors are everywhere. They're very real for Bitcoin and pretty much every other chain. Um, But that's what what it's being chalked up to be. I mean, but the existential threat this is being chalked up DeFi to is, this is, is a social attack by uh, profit mine profit incentivized miners. Sorry, we just we just tripped over each other from the internet. J- tr- just say that again. So that's what this is being chalked up to be. Uh, the I mean, on the call said it right. Like, if you take the pro prog pow stance and and objections and logic and carry them out to their conclusion, they don't make any sense. But if you take the fact that all the pro, pro, prog pow people are GPU miners who are economically incentivized to get prog pow through, well, then everything lines up and makes perfect clarity. So that's what this was. This was a, this was an, a, a social attack from profit-minded GPU miners to get this uh, EIP in that profits them. So it, it was 100% a social attack. Yeah, I mean, in, uh, personally, I think that like that is more than actual network attacks, like fifty-one percent attacks and whatever you know other attacks that you theoretically can come up with that are on like the actual network level. I think social attacks are what are scary, and that's some of the things that gives me pause about the current strategy for upgrading Ethereum is because it, it creates a lot of opportunity for these social attacks. Like how close right. was this social attack at getting implemented, right? Yeah, it's kind of hard to say, right? Because even though that it was like set to be included in its own hard fork, at the end of the day, like the community did what it needed to do to shut that shit down. Like the community, there, there was absolutely no doubt that the community did what it was supposed to do and, and said fucking no. And so, like, that was an absolute success. Like, that was unequivocally, unequivocally a success by the community in retaining the, some of the core values of Ethereum that the community itself upholds. Uh, and so, like, kind of saying, like, well, how close was it? Well, probably too close for comfort because it was, like, given a date for inclusion. Uh, maybe that was probably already too close. But at the same time, the, the community succeeded in defending Ethereum for what Ethereum is chalked up to be by the community. Question mark. Sure. I mean, again, I think social attacks are extremely difficult to even identify, right? Like, mm-hmm. th- like this was, if it was in fact, like let's like say this is not a conspiracy theory. This is actually a concerted attack on Ethereum in order to, mm-hmm. or Ethereum governance, in order to uh, bend the network to the will of specific stakeholders, right? Uh, I mean, this was very convincing. This had the buy-in of many of the key stakeholders that are making decisions about the future of ETH1 and ETH2. Like, I mean, these things are freaking dangerous and crazy. And like, mm-hmm. the, li- the lines are going to get more blurred, it's not going to, like, the future, like, what is an attack is going to be very subjective. Very, very subjective. Yeah. Well, the, the, but the more subjective an attack becomes, the less deadly the attack is, right? If, if you can't actually that. tell, but maybe you can give me an example that, that uh, would, would change my opinion. But, like, if, if it's hard to define whether it's an attack or if it's not an attack, it therefore also is difficult to figure out whether it's good or bad. Okay, so here's something that is like subje- very subjective about Bitcoin governance, right? Um, 
first and foremost, a lot of the people on the big block side and the Bcash side of things will still continue to say that SegWit was an attack on the network, right? It was a soft fork attack. And theoretically, you don't need any, like you can have a soft fork sub network within Bitcoin. Like I can make my own soft fork that enables specific features that is still a soft fork and other nodes can run it. It wouldn't be a significant amount, but our nodes would be running our specific rule set. Um, So like, at least with Bitcoin, like we had one soft fork that was like semi-contentious SegWit. Like in the future, like you could see a future where there, even with this no hard forking strategy, there's going to be contentious soft forks that could all theoretically be launched on the network. Um, And there are going to be a lot of politics around that stuff. Um, And I'm sure lots of that is going to have to do with privacy and other, you know, features that people want and needing to implement certain opcodes to do something else. Like there's so much, there's so much room for attack. And I mean, and with Ethereum having, you know, really a roadmap that is still being developed, like that gets even saucier. So is that why in previous POV crypto episodes, you've talked about um, how the importance of being able to run a node from like the beginning of history and still have that node running in like guaranteed to be running forever into the future of Bitcoin. That that's why that this is so important because if you run like uh, Bitcoin node software, you know, 1.0 then all these soft forks happen and do 1.1, is really, really important for 1.0 to still be working because if all other uh, Bitcoin 1.0 nodes go down, and then they're, you're left with only soft fork nodes after that. Is that is that kind of what I, the importance of? You talked about the importance of running old older nodes. Is that is that right? Uh, or am I totally so fucking up Bitcoin? I, I, no, I, I, like, I'm not technical. So right for all the developers out there that are pulling their hair out, like okay, I'm not going to try to explain <laughs> something super technical. That's not what I mean. Um, I think when what you're referring to is the importance of you know. Why, why having multiple versions of nodes mm-hmm. um, that aren't hard forked off is healthy. And it's because it acts similar to multiple implementations, right? Mm-hmm. So what you want multiple mm-hmm. implementations because it become, creates redundancy. It creates a slightly separate or different code set. So it makes it like a, a blockchain more robust. So that the same is true for multiple versions of Bitcoin Core or other Bitcoin clients. There, there are many clients. The most popular one is Core, and Core is 100% backwards compatible to date, which means that there's a lot of you know nodes that are older nodes. Um, and if there is something like a bug added to a new node, the fact that there's like 20% of some older node, that creates uh, robustness because um, you know, if something wrong, if that bug is exploded, there's at least somewhere that you can point to as the source of truth that was not compromised on the network. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So the, this concept of uh, a social attack soft fork, what's the worst case scenario from that? Like, the, I thought the cool thing about a soft fork is that you don't even need everyone to opt into it. And it can't really represent an, an attack because there's all these other nodes like the, the older nodes and the other nodes that are not exposed to your software. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying that that could be an attack vector. We have no idea. Who knows? Like there is just a gap for politics there um, and gap for attacks. Totally. I have no further place to take this conversation. Well, okay, well, I want to pivot. So uh, earlier t- today, I was, you know, I don't know if you ever do this, but like sometimes I have like, you know, I set aside like four hours on a Saturday to like just do my Bitcoin and crypto shit. Um, so I was doing a lot of my Bitcoin and crypto shit, like, you know, moving things around, consolidating, putting things in cold storage, um, all that good stuff. Um, and I'm setting up Argent Wallet because it's, you know, being pumped up as such a great DeFi wallet and smart contract wallet and all this good stuff. And uh, I get through the first step, which is set up your URL. And then step number two asked you for your phone number. And I was like, what the hell is this? Like, I thought this is a smart contract wallet. And that's asking you for my phone number. And like, I understand like, you know, different wallet companies have different requirements, but like, I thought the whole purpose of this Argent wallet was that it's a smart contract and it has all these amazing features um, without any human intervention. And the reality is, is you can't even use it 
without opting into a centralized company's uh, database. And I just, you know, went through their whole terms of service before I deleted the app. Like I'm not going to use Argent wallet. I'm sorry, but um, you know, they're Ask very the much a UK based company that is like, I mean, I have no reason to use them. I was going to try out a cool smart contract wallet, not like give a company my phone number and email and tie up, you know, my funds to my known identity, like, you know, explicitly by default on the wallet. Like the default version of that wallet is very not private. And I don't even think that you can make it private at all. Like it's impossible to be private on Argent. So yeah, I mean, I'm just not interested in that. And that's like, I, I feel yeah, no, like that, this is a probably theme. True. This is a theme. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, this, this totally is a theme. And it's really, <laughs> it's really funny that, that you're concerned that Argent Wall is what it is when you're also talking about how Unchained Capital is your, is your favorite smart contracting company on, on, on Bitcoin. And before we were hopping on, you were talking about how it's basically the same thing. Well, I mean, it's, it's first off, it's good UI UX. Like maybe I get, I guess the product isn't for Bitcoiners who are concerned about these things. It's for people that want to be able to link their phone number to, to, uh, they can opt into this or opt out of it, but link their phone number to a social recovery of their wallet, you know, phone recovery. You can't so like opt out of it though, because you have to give them the phone number when you sign up. There's no way out of that, from what I could see. Yeah, but what you can get out of it is using that phone as a, as a recovery mechanism for the wallet. Like you can. Yeah, but they already have ledger. your phone number and they already connected it to your addresses. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so it's a KYC issue, but like it's not a wallet security issue. Those are two totally different things, and the wallet is totally non-custodial you are 100 in, included with your funds and then like unchanged capital you can opt into giving them quote-unquote a key like one of the one of uh, two of three multi-sig or you can give yourself the key and give them zero of three and like that's what i do i use my own um my own ledger as my backup key to my argent wallet and then that's the key that unlocks it and then the difference between argent and Unchained Capital is they're both centralized companies. They both collect your information. Unchained Capital has one of the three keys. Argent has one of the three keys if you opt into them. Otherwise, they have zero. And all of Argent's logic, all of its wallet's logic is inside the Ethereum blockchain. So spending limits, trusted addresses, you know, uh, what funds you want to be able to send for how much over what period of time, like all of that stuff is built into Ethereum and Unchained Capital, it's built into a database. And so if comparing these two things, like the theme is, That's I don't understand what Bitcoiners are comparing, comparing about. So it's not true because actually all the logic from Unchained Capital is, is Bitcoin native multi-sig. So you actually don't need Unchained Capital ever to take all your funds off. If their website goes down, right. uh, there's right. open source code that you can host in order to get your funds off of it. So, what about like spending um, limits and trusted addresses? So, uh, yeah, that like those things are not on like those things are not inside. Right. But that has to do with like the way Unchained Capital works is that it's multi sig, so they have to actually sign um, based on right. your your criteria. Um, but the dip like. In reality, KYC, they're, they're exactly the same thing. And in, in the actual product that the customer gets, um, it's very similar. Um, the actual execution and logic is different. One is writing it directly to the Ethereum blockchain, and one is utilizing multi-sig in order to deliver that product. But my question is, I think Unchained Capital is very clear that like, it's a collaborative custody. It is like, we are a company serving you. I feel like Argent Wallet, at least literally up until the moment that I downloaded it and was about to sign it up, it's a smart contract wallet. Like this is just a smart contract that does all these amazing things. But no, it's a company that's using Ethereum native, which is perfectly fine. I'm not against that. But like just setting this precedent and like the reality is that all funds on Argent Wallet are completely doxed. And I I don't know if that's like made very clear to people. And I just, I don't know. I just... For me, it turned it very much turned is me off. Me- is this the messaging complaint? Are you complaining about the messaging of Argent? Writing things directly to the chain is not that massive of of a of a of an update versus using multi sig and in doing logic off chain. 
Like, I just don't see one, there's, there's no moat in terms of like the actual functionality for the user, like all of those things in order to use the app, like are tied in with this centralized service. And then two, like, is the centralized service actually delivering a better product with ETH native solutions? I don't know. I don't know if it's actually delivering a better product. The trade-offs for the user are pretty much exactly the same. And the messaging is actually deceptive on one front versus at least straightforward uh, on the Unchained Capital, even though this is just one example. <laughs> saying, saying it's deceptive is also deceptive. Like, what, what, maybe you were expecting some pros, some Bitcoiner uh, narr- like messaging to, to serve to Bitcoiners, but that's not who they're trying to serve. They're trying to serve the general population who want to be able to recover their funds with their phone number. Like, what is more scalable here? And also just saying it's like, it's not that much of an improvement. Like it's the already the smart contract wallet is a, a slight improvement over multi-sig, but at the same time you get access to the DSR, you get access to Uniswap, you get access to compound and you'll get access to all the other DeFi protocols that they include in the wallet at the same time. So like, the, from the base product of the, you know, the centralized company backed up security of your funds is already a slight improvement, but then you have access to all of DeFi, which is this, you know, one massive collection of, of financial products. Like, no, it's a huge improvement. And it's, it's a UI that everyone who's not a Bitcoiner, which is most of the world is used to. Again, there's nothing, I feel like DeFi is the wrong way to describe almost everything uh, that is currently being called mm. DeFi. I think that I also it want to be, talk about this today. It should be called Ethereum native financial companies, and that does not have as much memeability. But that is way, way more. But even open finance, like what? What's multisig? Multisig is theoretically completely open finance too, right? Yeah, like I, think I would include that. Multisig is is big, at least Bitcoin. Multisig is Bitcoin native finance, and most ninety nine percent of Ethereum. It's just Ethereum native finance. And that's perfectly fine. Those things are not going to be necessarily censorship resistant. Those things are not going to be necess- like necessarily private. And in this case, gu- literally guaranteed not to be private. Like for all the Argent Wallet users out there, I hope, like, I hope you are like, accounting for the fact that all your usage on there is not private. I don't know. Like maybe just my, my expectations are off. Maybe that was the reality, but um, and maybe I just didn't like, you know, read all the tweets as closely and know exactly what to expect. But based on what I've seen just from Twitter, and I think I'm relatively well-informed, like, I just feel like I just completely, you know, shocked by the fact that it's literally, it's just a centralized company. That's what Argent Wallet is. No, 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 no. Argent is a centralized company. Argent Wallet is something else. In the same way that like if Untrained Capital goes down, if, if Argent goes down, like you still have your wallet, like that's still a real thing. Um, and it, 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 at some point, like you go into Argent Wallet and then they give you, ask you for your number and your email. Like people at that point are no longer confused what is going on here. Like like if, if no one has Argent Wallet with their funds inside of it, thinking thinking that they don't, Argent doesn't know who they are. Like you gave them your phone number and your email address. Like you did it yourself. Like you opted in for that. And so like this isn't a messaging thing. This is just like Bitcoiners thought it was one thing, and now it's something else. Or 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 not just Bitcoiners, just just you. Uh, in yeah, this one, maybe just me. Case. Yeah. Okay. I so mean, here's whenever, here's, I, here's, whenever I bring up a fuss a fuss about uh, DeFi and and playing around with the Ethereum ecosystem is because, you know, I'm trying to play around with the Ethereum ecosystem and I'm making serious mistakes. And I mean, I think that there's way dumber people than me. I think the majority of people are less used to using crypto stuff and way dumber. So I don't know what and that means not, about the UX. But they also don't care about, about some of the things that the average they Bitcoin should are care. They should care. And like the fact that That's these things are default, like we don't care about those things, like says a lot to me. Okay, well, we'll have to do an episode on that all by itself. But I want to go back to what you said about DeFi, people branding themselves at DeFi. So here, here's a, a tweet that I put out today, three tweets. Using Bitcoin as the anchor for comparison for what is, quote, decentralized is, the, is only one of two possible anchor points. The other comparison is the maximally centra- centralized end of the spectrum, the legacy system. DeFi should be, quote, more decentralized than its legacy counterparts, end quote. Project X is saying that they're DeFi. 
but they have admin keys. So they're not DeFi and also that that's dishonest. I think that's a terrible take. Discrediting or not acknowledging all the ways that these projects have helped remove trust from their system is unhelpful. If there is a project on Ethereum that has made effort to remove trust from their system and they are more trustless than their legacy counterparts are DeFi. They can and should wear that label with pride. Thank you for removing trust. Welcome to DeFi. And so like DeFi is when is this spectrum of things that if you have done some, made some strides in effort to remove trust from your system, you get to start wearing the DeFi badge. Like that, I feel like that's a fair take. So what about exchanges that let you buy Bitcoin and automatically put it onto a, onto your own separate wallet that you, you custody? Is that DeFi? If you can they move trust, the custodial trust, they never custody your funds. All they do yeah, is they make if the it transaction. Goes to- Straight from your bank account to a wallet, I would consider that some somewhat DeFi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's wire DeFi. You make wire buys, it goes straight to your non-custodial wallet. There's no choice. Yeah. Yeah. Um. No, because they still they still have that wall where they can shut you down, right? So you're still trusting that they will actually like. You're not, you're not, it would be worse if like you trusted can't, them with your, your funds for seven days. Can't the majority of DeFi funds also do that? Wire never holds your funds, right? I guess theoretically they can charge your card, but then you can dispute it. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, they don't, yeah, they don't take in your, they give you an equal amount of funds and then they t- receive an equal amount of funds, but you're trusting them to process both ends of that transaction. Yeah, but the worst they can do is charge you and not send you the Bitcoin or the Ethereum and then you dispute it. Right. Because it's always through I, Apple I mean, I, I would consider it very much on the legacy side, like very, very legacy. I don't know. I just think that these things are way more nuanced than the DeFi crowd is making them out to be. And you're just going out labeling things based on your arbitrary definitions. And like, the, like a lot of, there's a lot of things DeFi. that are removing, that are removing existing trust that you are just completely ignoring. Like what? I think I think that wire removes trust and they never custody your assets. Yeah, they never not custodying your assets is really really nice, but like you're still going through this trusted system I mean, of you just spelled out this criteria that you did in your tweet. I'm just kind of showing that in exchange that allows you to dollar cost average or make buys and automatically sense to your own wallet theoretically fits that. No, it's different because because like you have to like it's they're I mean, they're not doing DeFi, they're not providing they a service right other than other right but but they're not you cannot they're, they're, so use they're them in, without interacting with their C five portion it's impossible I mean unless I'm wrong like, right. can I go on there yeah. again like is it possible to set up Argent without giving them your phone number no it's not so there you go C five right <laughs> yeah the, the well but Argent the difference with Argent is like it's this bridge between uh the old world and the new world the, the legacy so world and the crypto capital. world and and so like just because they they don't custody your funds like that's not the relevant part about wire the the relevant part is the bridge between the two worlds which is which is permissioned which is trusted i mean you can't use argent without signing up with their thing and giving them your information even if you don't want to use that feature right yeah you yeah you can you can't do that but then once you have done that like you have access to your funds regardless of whether the company exists or not okay so is is unchained capital DeFi? yes like bitcoin is DeFi. bitcoin is a subset of DeFi. okay i agree that it's this is nuanced and these centralized companies right. can do DeFi things and you said that too like your article about uh, and with your cover of the many faces of Ethereum uh, and mm-hmm. there's the human side and whatever. But the problem with that, I think, you know, I think that these react, like having the human side of things is for a reason. Like there's a purpose to that. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin can accomplish that include, you know, given that fact, Bitcoin has a, uh, a lot of ability there. Um, and from an investment perspective, like the Turing completeness, if you need to always have the centralized components, oh, even if you you consider them DeFi, like that doesn't create that much value, which is not going to help the Ethereum price go up. Like, do you under like this is Udi's argument? Udi is saying that 
whatever these centralized companies are doing, they are actually delivering products that people want and they are using these technologies in a way that is creating value. And this DeFi thing, this arbitrary label of what is DeFi may or may not, but we don't know. And it, so far, based on the volumes, it's not. But that's what my Argent... That- <laughs> That's what my argument is about Argent is like Argent is this centralized company that's making the UX around this smart contract wallet, which is something that they set up on your behalf for you, but you ultimately control yourself. The Argent decentralized company is the, this, this for-profit company that is not decentralized, that has all your KYC information that enable you to access DeFi in a DeFi, in a DeFi manner. We could just keep pounding on this, but I don't think it's necessary. Like, yeah, at the end of the day, it's like the it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Like the Ar- Untrained Capital and Argent are roughly in the same realm as each other, but then Argent has all the cool, awesome benefits of integrating with composability, like having all of the Ethereum cool shit inside of the wallet while retaining all of the trustlessness of of a multisig but better because it's more expressive. I, I don't see it that way at all. The way I see it is that the way that I see it is that the expressiveness of Ethereum is like this tempting thing that is tempting people to sacrifice decentralization and ability to verify that. And it doesn't create that much additional value. Like all of these ideas that are being experimented on chain with, with Ethereum are being experimented in a lot of other avenues as well. And we just have no idea where it's going to manifest the best. But with Ethereum's design, we know that there are trade-offs. And even moving into E2, we still know that there are trade-offs that have to be figured out in order for it to get to where it needs to be. Um, So I just see Ethereum making trade-offs for things that are not proving to necessarily actually create value. Um, and where Bitcoin's trade-offs are is that you can't do a lot of those cool fancy things, but its other values are is that we are not we are not compromising on the ability to verify a node completely. We are not compromising on the ability to download a node. Uh, there's constant strides in terms of making it easier and easier and easier to uh, get a fully verified downloaded node with no trust involved in terms of pulling all the information. So who knows where value is going to be created and where it's going to be manifested into the future. I just think that the compromises in Ethereum don't make sense to me from a value accrual perspective. I think you're underestimating the power of composability. Uh, composability is like we, Ethereum talks about and the Ethereum community talk about like how awesome like Turing completeness is expressiveness. Yeah. 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 Uh, which is a big deal. But what is really a bigger deal is that all of these things that you can create from this expressiveness, you can also compose together. And once you compose two things together, you can make room for a third thing to come using those two things. And then that third thing comes and then you can start to compose that with other things. And then all of a sudden we have this explosion of possibilities. Uh, that, that is the bull case for Ethereum, is this, this massive explosion of surface area. And this is what... Um, and surface area is is the way I've been calling this this potential realm for opportunity. Uh, surface area has previously been used as like you know surf, you don't want surface area you want less surface area because surface area is an attack vector. Well, in in the DeFi world, it's both an attack vector and also a growth vector. So it's a, it's always a double edged sword. But the idea is that every every increased amount of surface area is a place for another application to build on top of. Uh, and sometimes these applications break and then they crumble like the BZX and then, and then they can be rebuilt. Uh, it's, it's like an anti-fragile system. Wherever there is you know, a crumbling set of, of infrastructure, is, there's, that's opportunity for something else to come in and replace that. And we can talk about like, how all these other different things are experimenting in different ways, but like composability, man, that shit is powerful. And, and I'm going to show my article that's coming out in Bankless on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday that really talks about what is created when this composability just goes. What happens? What is the end game for composability? Uh, and I'm calling it Ethereum, the emergent structure. It's one single structure that is one gargantuan set of financial services that are all composed together. That is 
hard to compete with. That's hard to compete with. And so cool that I'm glad we're experimenting this with this in other areas, but like composability is powerful, man. I don't want to downplay the power of composability. And we've seen very, very cool things kind of emerge. We've also seen things that are potentially very dangerous and required action in order to address them. Like uh, flash loans are one, but um, you know, more will, more will merge in terms of like this service that's expanding. But I think that again, like compose permissionless composability has been around on the internet for a very long time and in computer science for a long time. You know, there are dependencies and folders and open source standards and libraries that are pulled all the time. Again, I'm not a developer, but being able to kind of build off of other people's work is not something that's brand freaking new. Of course, being able to do that on Ethereum is, is, is different, obviously, because like there is this like, you know, monetary unit that is now, um, that is like connecting it all together. Um, so that, of course that is novel, but, um, while you were painting this grand vision of, you know, all this composability, um, you know, there's a dark side of composability It's called dependencies, sorry, dependencies. Um, and these things start getting, you know, kind of, uh, what's the, what's the word, uh, you know, crystallized or, or, uh, they start to, uh, ossify, they start to ossify and, you know, all this composability starts turning into like, man, I have to plug into maker and all this stuff. And now all of makers bad sides are affecting everyone. Like dependability, dependency is also, and being dependent on things that you may not like as much, um, is kind of the downside to that. So again, I I just don't know if all that stuff actually makes Ethereum, you know, a, a better competitor in the marketplace for delivering value. So there's this one website that does really deep dives into big data on Ethereum. Uh, and the, the cool graphic that everyone knows is all of the interconnecting transactions between all the different protocols. So anytime somebody makes a transaction between Augur and Uniswap and Uniswap and Compound and Compound and DYDX and Maker, it, it draws lines between them. And so you know sometimes these highways of transactions are really big, sometimes they're small. Uh, and you can kind of map out the size of the total structure of Ethereum and where all these protocols are communicating with each other. Um, they, they recently, they've updone these like every four months and they just dropped one like a couple days ago. And it's dope. It's super cool. Check it out. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, and it looks like, um, I can't remember, this was in like my bio class way back when. And it looks like one of the DNA replicators that's going down the DNA line. And it's got two legs and then it's got this massive like backpack in the back that's got all of its like, you know, all the body of the whole thing where all the activity is. But it's got these two legs that are walking down like this, this DNA thing. And uh, <laughs> crazy analogy. But the point is, it's like an organism, right? And the feet represent like make or doubt, right? Like in this current image, there's two because there's still single collateral die and there's also multi-collateral die, which is kind of where this image came from. But it's fitting because the feet of this organism are the things that strap it to the real world. And then it's got this entire like backpack full of stuff going on, which is what we are calling DeFi. That's all of the Ethereum native stuff like Uniswap, Compound, uh, you know, DYTX, all this stuff. But you're totally right, MakerDAO, like everything rests on the MakerDAO legs. Like the legs, MakerDAO are the legs to Ethereum. And if you cut off the legs, then you're fucked because you got no legs. Uh, and, and so uh, I, I'm totally going to concede that like MakerDAO is a central source of, of uh, a, a central weakness, a, a central chink in the armor for the Ethereum DeFi ecosystem at large. Uh, but there's two strategies around this. One, MakerDAO just gets better and more robust and more resilient and other decentralized stable coins that act as uh, further ways for the Ethereum DeFi ecosystem to reach out and strap on and grab onto the real world. Because that's basically what MakerDAO is. It's, like, it's a highway between the real world and Ethereum. If we get another MakerDAO and these two things are competing for each other for, you know, value and being able to be uh, to operate as good foundation well if we get two things that are that are doing that well i think then it's game over because if we get two things then there's competition and at, at some point there can also be three things and then this thing just has just gets out of control with the cambrian explosion of possibilities um so I, I think once once we get past that hurdle whenever that comes i think that'll be pretty bullish 
it's going to be very interesting to watch. But generally speaking, is money is a maximal thing, and I think you've identified as a monetary max maximalist before. So um, liquidity likes to be, you know, in one place, and the more liquid something becomes, the more useful it becomes. Like liquidity is utility. So thinking about like three major stable coins in DeFi um, without massive mm. just compose i guess massive uh, interchangeability between them and who knows what the future holds um you know it's gonna be tough to ha- like there's gonna be you know a at least a, pare- a pareto distribution and maybe that's good enough who knows mm-hmm. usdc also has its legs uh it's not the ideal stable coin uh but then there's also it's this fed thing coin and stable <laughs> fed coin right but then there's also this thing called metastable which is the stable coin of stable coins, right? So like you have eight different stable coins on Ethereum and then you can deposit them into M stable and get an M stable stable coin. And the M stable stable coin has like a one chunk of all the other stable coins. Like it's literally meta. It's a meta stable coin. And but maybe, that maybe stuff like this happens. How's that coin's liquidity? Well, yeah, I don't think it's launched yet. Oh, okay. I think it's brand new. Yeah. Okay. It's cool. just an idea. Long way to go then. Point is there's solutions, possible solutions out there that we are working on. Which is always the case for DeFi. There's always solutions. There's never, ever been roadblocks. There's always been solutions. I mean, watching, waiting. It's, it's, it's exciting. Yeah. It's an exciting space out there. I think we're going, you know, a little past an hour here. So anything wow, else that you want to touch on? Uh, no. Uh, stoked for my article to come out, I think, on Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, sometime next week. Uh, 18 minutes. It's going to be a good one. My plan for this is to release this one and then Gitcoin grants happens in like two weeks. And then I'm going to take all my other articles to all my other big articles and put them into one single PDF. And there's just the, the, uh, the, uh, the manifesto for the Ethereum zealots. Like here's what you, it's the Bitcoin standard, hopefully, but for Ethereum and not written by an an extremely offensive character by other people outside of the Bitcoin community. Uh, And also a lot shorter and also not a book. So maybe not that at all. But the point is, it's the onboarding doctrine. You like give it to them. It's like here's what it takes to become an Ethereum maximalist. Read this, and you can become one of us. Oh gosh, take this. That way, you can take the longest road possible to Bitcoin maximalism. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. The end game is always Bitcoin, David. Have you listened to Bitcoin Tina on Bitcoin Until it's yet? Not. No, I haven't. Should I? You should. You should listen to it. I think. I think yeah. it will. It will give you a lot of good ideas. I think out of all of the Ethereum community, I'm the one that understands Bitcoin the most, and I'm. I'm still not converted. Yeah, but I think that there's a there's a, a deep layer. Um, I mean, there are a lot of Bitcoiners in the Ethereum community too. They just mm-hmm. don't accept what the quote unquote Bitcoin community says. And I think that that is what Bitcoin is, is that there's a lot of people that are in the Bitcoin sphere. And some of them look like Ethereans. Some of them look like Bcashers. Some of them look like multi-coiners and EOS heads. And some of them look like maximalists. Mm-hmm. Some of them look like governments. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the fact that right, Bitcoin blockchain.com is like such a huge company and just vehemently hated and same with BitPay, like that just shows like you could be like, fuck you to the maximalist and still be a Bitcoin company. Hmm. Interesting. But yeah, sorry. What were you going to say? Close it out? Yeah, let's close it out. I was going to close it out. And rent. <laughs> All right, guys, you can follow the pod at POV crypto pod. You can follow me at trustless state, both on Twitter and on Bankless. Christian. Yep. You can follow me at CK underscore snarks on Twitter Eventually, I'm going to have an article coming out, and maybe with this postponement, I have some more time to refocus. Um, Also, for everyone else, check out Bitcoin Tina on Bitcoin and check out Bitcoin Magazine for some more CK Snarks material coming out over there as well. You guys, if you want Bitcoin to go above 10K, we need 100 reviews. We've been saying this for months, and here we are, sub 10K. So this is your fault. It is your fault. Uh, I mean, it, it is our fault because we haven't asked for re- reviews for like at least 30 to 40 episodes. But I feel like we also promised that at one point in time. So we came through on our obligations accidentally. But now it's time to give us those five-star reviews. Do it for your bags. Just do it for your bags. Just do it for your bags. Yeah. All right. Peace. Two
Will you just? Dis- 